what is your favorite Christmas movie? What's your favorite Christmas movie? For me, it's a tie between A Christmas Carol and Home Alone because I, I'm among the, the few that still do not consider Die Hard to be a Christmas movie. So it's Home Alone and A Christmas Carol. But have you ever noticed that so many of the Christmas movies that we love are actually stories of contrast? You take, for example, A Christmas Carol. It's a story of contrast between the sort of prideful and grumpy Scrooge on the one hand and the lowly yet joyful Cratchit on the other. It's the same thing if you think about the Grinch. It's a story of contrast between the self-centered and bitter Grinch and the happy Who's who are able to sing for joy on Christmas even though the Grinch has plundered them. And it's really actually no different even for Home Alone. In Home Alone, you see the contrast between, at the beginning, Kevin McAllister, the brat, and at the end, the happy Kevin McAllister, who is finally thankful for the family that he has. And I think the reason why we love these Christmas movies so much is because they, they're these stories of contrast that reveal the unbreakable link between pride and misery, on the one hand, and humility and joy on the other. See, these Christmas movies, we love them because they're stories of contrast that highlight the just unbreakable link between humility and joy. And no matter what you came this morning carrying, we all brought a, with us the desire to be joyous. I mean, we all long for a happiness that is deeper than the happenings of our lives. And this morning, as we come to our third passage in our Advent series, our passage is all about that unbreakable link between humility and joy. See, in the first two Sundays of Advent, it was all about promise. The angel Gabriel first promising Elizabeth that though she's old and previously infertile, she would conceive a child who would be John the Baptist. And then the angel Gabriel promises Mary, the virgin, that she'll conceive by the power of the Holy Spirit and have a child who would be Christ the King. So the first two Sundays of Advent are all about promise, but this morning's passage is all about fulfillment because these two women are finally pregnant with the babies that God has promised them. And that's where we see joy all over our passage. So you remember that after Mary conceives by the power of the Holy Spirit, she goes to Elizabeth's home and immediately the baby in Elizabeth's womb, John the Baptist, leaps for joy in utero. And then Elizabeth cries aloud with an exclamation of joy that she gets to be around Mary, who is uniquely blessed by God. She gets to be the mother of the Lord. And then Mary sings this song of thanksgiving, and it too begins with joy. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Everyone in our passage is just full of joy, and it raises the question, where does that come from? Where does joy like that come from? Well, I think the answer is a second theme that is all over our passage, which is humility. Notice that in her song of rejoicing, Mary's joy is built on the foundation of humility. Verse 48, she magnifies the Lord, why? For he has looked on 
the humble estate of his servant. And then again in verse 52, he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. I mean, even Elizabeth and the baby in her womb, John the Baptist, are full of joy, not because they're looking at themselves, but away from themselves. See, our passage is the truest and greatest Christmas story. And it highlights this unbreakable link between humility and joy. And that brings us to the big idea of our passage this morning, our third week of Advent, and it's this. Humble yourself before God, and you will be full of joy. Humble yourself before God, and you will be full of joy. You see, the Bible says that it is humility before God that leads to joy in God. But humility is tricky. How do we very practically humble ourselves before God? Well, the Bible says that humility is actually a choice. And in our passage, we see that the fullness of joy in God is experienced when we make at least three humble choices. First, thank God for his goodness to others. Second, choose to decrease for God's increase. And then third and finally, stand in awestruck wonder at God's grace. We're going to take those one by one. So first, we experience the fullness of joy in God when we humble ourselves before God by thanking God for his goodness to others. We see this in Elizabeth in Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 39. It says, In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Now, don't overlook what is most shocking and surprising about what we just read concerning Mary and her child, Jesus the Christ. What's most surprising to me is that Elizabeth is rejoicing about it. Elizabeth is rejoicing about it. She, in verse 43, says that she's just overjoyed that she gets to be in the presence of Mary, who's uniquely blessed of God because Mary's child is going to be none other than Christ the King. See, she's rejoicing. She's not say, looking at God and saying, wait, wait, wait a second. Why does she get the better kid? I mean, really, in reality, what, what Elizabeth is saying is, Mary, your child's better than mine. Your child's better than I. Your child is my Lord. But she's not grumpy about it. She's not looking at God and saying, why does she get to be the mother of the Lord? Why is her birth announcement going to get so many more likes on Instagram than mine? She's not looking at herself and going, you know what? I think Mary's child's really going to be somebody. Um, 
how can we get John the Baptist into the best schools? And when can he start sports? And when do we get the professional tutor for him? She's not suffering under the misery of comparing her life to Mary. Instead, she walks the path of fullness of joy, which comes through humbly thanking God for his goodness to Mary rather than comparing her life to, hit, to hers. So here's a question. Where do you find you, yourself comparing your life to others? Where do you find yourself comparing your life to others? Now, I want to put a brief disclaimer here because there's actually a type of comparison that the Bible encourages. For example, in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 17, we're told that as followers of Jesus, we should remember our leaders, consider the outcome of their way of life, and imitate their faith. Okay, so as followers of Jesus, we are intended to be inspired by one another's lives and imitate one another's faith, but that's way different than either the pride or discontent-inducing power of comparison. So where do you find yourself comparing your life to others? Some of us compare our bodies to others. Some our brains, our achievements, our experiences or our vacations. I, I'll tell you, I always love my vacations until I look at your vacations on Instagram. Then I'm like, oh, you're living the epic life. Like, what, what am I doing? And we compare. We compare our experience of sex or lack of it. We compare our marriages to other people's marriages, our children to other people's children, and whether it leads to pride or despair, it seems to always make us miserable. And there's a reason why comparison makes us so miserable. Because there's another biblical word for comparison that reveals just how deadly it is. It's the word covet. Covet. The prohibition against coveting is one of the Ten Commandments that God told his people that he purchased by grace to live by because coveting is pride in action. Coveting is saying, God, I know how to run the universe better than you, and I will not rejoice in you or be happy until what I have exactly what I believe I should have. Coveting is when desires, even good desires, become demands, and it leaves us miserable. And so the question is, how can we reclaim joy in God from the clutches of joyless comparison? Well, again, the answer is found in Elizabeth's example. Notice in verse 42 that Elizabeth exclaims with joy two different times because she says twice that Mary is uniquely blessed, favored of God. Elizabeth is full of joy because in humility, instead of comparing her life to Mary's, she is blessing and thanking God for his goodness to Mary. You know, we often think that the great antidote to joyless comparison is to thank God for his gifts to us, and that's true enough. But what Elizabeth shows us is that maybe the great antidote to joyless comparison is thanking God for his gifts to others. There are two people in my life that just epitomize the joy that comes when we humbly choose to thank God 
for his goodness to others rather than comparing. And they are uh, Paul and Chanel Fuller. Paul is the guy who is just up here doing announcements. Uh, many of you know that Paul and Chanel have uh, suffered under infertility for over a decade and are now on the, the pathway toward adoption. But I will tell you that I know of no two people besides me and Andrea that thank God more for our children than Paul and Chanel. I mean, almost never does a Sunday go by that I don't hear Paul say to my son, Soren, Soren, you're such a great kid. I thank God for you. And we can all see he's just full of joy because instead of embracing the misery of comparing lives, he embraces the joy of just choosing to thank God for his goodness to me. And, you know, I'll be honest, I've been trying this out a little bit this week. It really is joy-inducing. You know, so uh, this week I had a discipleship group with a, a few guys and after discipleship group was over, I left the restaurant and I saw that one of the guys in the discipleship group, will just say, drives a car that's much nicer than mine. And, and I looked at the car and I, my first reaction sadly was, gosh, it'd be nice like drive around town one day in a car like that. And then I was like, wait, wait, wait. I'm gonna, I, just, I was working on the sermon. So I was like, okay, I'm going to practice so I preach. And so I just... I was like, I'm going to choose to thank God for this. I was like, God, thank you that this brother of mine who doesn't love money at all, it's just been, you've been so good to him and he is so abundantly generous and yet you've blessed him to the point that he can have this car. And God, thank you. You thought up leather heated seats and that's just your goodness (laughs) to other people that aren't me. Like that's wonderful. You know, and I tell you, I suddenly like that kind of grumpy comparison, like, wow, God, you're so good. I'm like, wow, I'm feeling a little bit of joy right now. Our joy in God comes through the path of humility before him. And we humble ourselves first by choosing to thank God for his goodness to others rather than comparing. So how can you begin to thank God for his goodness in ways large and small to the other people around you rather than comparing? Second, The second way that we humble ourselves before God in order to enjoy the fullness of joy in God is by choosing to decrease for God's increase. In Luke 1, verse 44, Elizabeth is speaking directly to Mary. And she says these words, For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in the womb leaped for joy. This is one of those Christmas verses that you just blow by, but you're like, hang on a second. This is very mysterious and miraculous. This baby, John the Baptist, in utero is leaping for joy. Okay, how and why is that possible? Well, you may remember from his birth announcement that one of the things that was to be unique about John the Baptist is that he was to be filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. What does being filled with the Holy Spirit do to someone? Well, we have an example with Elizabeth because our passage says that she was filled with the Spirit, and there were two results. First, the Spirit miraculously revealed to her that she was in the presence of the Christ when Mary came to her home. And second, the Spirit produces rejoicing in Elizabeth at the presence of the Christ. So you piece all that together, and I don't think it's far-fetched to believe 
that what's happening in Luke chapter 1 is that John the Baptist, who's filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb, is miraculously enabled by the Holy Spirit to experience joy at the presence of Jesus Christ. But I'll tell you what I find most amazing about John the Baptist's leap for joy at the presence of Jesus. The presence of Jesus is a reminder that John the Baptist was not born to be in the spotlight. The presence of Jesus is a reminder that John the Baptist was not born to be in the spotlight. He was born to be the spotlight, highlighting and bearing witness to Jesus Christ. And if you follow the trajectory of John's life, years later during his ministry, there's this scene in John chapter 3 where religious leaders come to John the Baptist and they say, hey man, what's the deal? Your following seems to be decreasing because everyone's going to follow Jesus of Nazareth. And I love John's response. He says, it's no problem. I was born to be the best man, not the groom. That's what he says. He says, I was born to be the best man, not the groom. I was born into a universe that is not a celebration of me. It's a celebration of another. And then he says, actually, my joy is now complete because I, the best man, got to hear the voice of the groom. And then John speaks these unforgettable words. In John 3.30, he says, speaking of Jesus, he must increase, but I must decrease. For John the Baptist, the fullness of joy in God came through his humble decrease for the sake of Jesus' increase. And we see even the seed of that joy when he's in the womb in our passage. So here's the question. How can you pursue your joy through Jesus' increase? How can you begin to pursue your joy through Jesus' increase? If you want to get specific and look at John the Baptist, he pursued his joy in Jesus' increase primarily by speaking about Jesus. John's joy came in the increase of Jesus through his own very lips. And in the same way, the path to fullness of joy is humbly experiencing our decrease so that the gospel of Jesus Christ can through us bear fruit and multiply everywhere. And practically, that's gonna mean different things for different people in this room. You know, so, for example... I believe that some of us in this room, God is calling us to experience massive financial decrease for the sake of Jesus' increase. Now, don't get me wrong. All followers of Jesus are called to live at least one step below the means of, say, their peers in order to generously give to Jesus' increase here in Philadelphia and around the world. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, I believe that there are some of us in this room that are called to experience abnormal decrease in our finances for the sake of Jesus' increase. And I just want to encourage you, you are going to love your decrease for the sake of Jesus' increase, no matter what it costs you. Some of you, God is going to call to massive vocational decrease, He's going to call you to take the gospel maybe to the most unreached people or relief in Jesus' name to the poorest around the world. And it's going to mean massive vocational decrease. And I just want to encourage you, you're going to love 
the decrease of you for the sake of the increase of him, no matter what it costs you. We're going to talk about this a lot more in 2019. I'm getting a little ahead of myself here, but I believe that God is calling many of you to experience a decrease of your comforts and preferences here at City Light Maniunk in order to be part of the team that's going to help start our third City Light congregation sometime in late 2019, we're praying. And I just want to encourage you, you're going to love the decrease of your preferences and your comforts in order to seek the increase of Jesus in a new place. And if you feel like God's nudging you toward that, let us know. We'd love to help you get connected. But for every single one of us, God is calling us into the fullness of joy that comes through sharing the gospel and our very lives with our friends who aren't yet part of a Bible-believing church. You know, around here at City Light, we often say that uh, we always want to have our three. Three friends of ours who aren't yet part of a Bible-believing church where we're seeking the decrease of our comfort so that we can pray for them regularly. Love them sacrificially because they are not your project. They're a person. Introduce them to other followers of Jesus and help them hear the gospel. I know some of you are here this morning like, I think I might be like someone's three. Uh, Let me just tell you, you're not their project. They love you. That's why they brought you here. No problem. And sharing the gospel in life with your three will always mean a decrease, usually of your comfort, sometimes your time. But you're going to love your decrease for the sake of Jesus' increase in other people's lives. So secondly, the fullness of joy in God comes through humbling ourselves before God by choosing our decrease for the sake of his increase. Now finally and most importantly, we come to the very heart of our passage, what's traditionally called Mary's Magnificat. And from it we learn that the most God-glorifying And soul-satisfying joy comes through the purest form of humility, which is awe. The purest form of humility is awe of God's grace. If you want to experience the fullness of joy in God, humble yourself before God by standing in awe, in awestruck wonder at God's grace. Mary's Magnificat is the song that comes after the leap of joy of John the Baptist and the cry aloud of Elizabeth. And it's a song that sounds a lot like the Psalms of Thanksgiving in the Old Testament. Actually sounds also a lot like the song that Hannah sang in 1 Samuel when she gave birth to the prophet Samuel. And it expresses the purest form of humility. You know, the Bible teaches that humility is not thinking less of yourself, It's just thinking of yourself less. It's standing in awestruck wonder of God's grace so that you kind of forget about you. And that's what we see in Mary. Let's take a closer look at this beautiful song. And we'll see Mary experiencing the fullness of joy as she stands in awestruck wonder at God's grace. Beginning in verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Mary's saying, 
I'm so full of joy because I don't deserve this. I didn't do anything to earn God's special favor that he'd look on me and go, wow, you know, there's just something about you. You should be the mother of the Lord. No, he's looked at me in my humility. I have nothing to offer him but my sin. I can't even, like, raise my eyes to him. I'm just so low. And yet he looks down on me and says, perfect. I can deal with that. And he just showers his grace on me. I don't deserve it. I didn't earn it. And But he gives it. It's his unmerited favor his unearned mercy. And Mary just goes, I'm magnified, Lord. I'm full of joy because he's given me everything and I deserve none of it. She's saying, my present is just totally governed by God's grace. And then she goes on. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. She's saying, not only is my present governed by God's grace, but my future. I mean, they're going to call me blessed, uniquely favored of God for generation after generation. I've done nothing to deserve it or earn it. She's not in awe of her pedigree. She's not looking at herself and saying, God made a good choice here. No, she's looking at herself and saying, I just, I'm nothing, forget about me. I'm in awestruck wonder at God's gracious mercy to me. And she's not done. And his mercy is for those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. Mary's saying, God's grace is governing my present, my future. And then she says, and this is just how he always works. This is the way of God where he's always taking the humble and exalting them. He's taking the poor and the godless who say, I can't even lift my eyes to God. And he's saying, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. He's looking at those who are sick and saying, that's just who I came for. He's looking to those who can't get it together, can't pull themselves up by their own bootstraps and saying, I've come to rescue you. But he's bringing down the mighty. He looks at those who think, you know, I I think I kind of got it together. I wish everyone else here would kind of follow suit. And he's saying, you need to come down. He's looking at those of us who say, I don't know that I need a savior, maybe just an improvement plan, get a little bit more religious, say, no, no, no. I haven't come to make bad people good. I've come to make dead people alive. This is the way he always does things. And Mary just is full of joy because she gets to be part of it. The fullness of joy is in her awestruck wonder at God's grace, in her present, her future, and to everyone around. And still she's not done. He has, verse 54, helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. <laughs> she said, not only is this grace how he just seems to function all the time, it's how he's always done it. It's been this way from the beginning, ever since he chose this godless man, Abraham, who worshiped idols and said, you're going to be the father of my chosen people, and through you will come the offspring who is the Christ. He's the most unlikely to receive God's favor, just like us. Mary is standing in awestruck wonder of God's grace. She looks at God and realizes, he first looked at me in my humble estate and met me with grace. She loves God because he first loved her and has sent 
his son, the Savior, and she even gets to bear him in her womb. And not only did God look on Mary's humble estate, but in coming to earth as her child, God actually took on Mary's humble estate. You know, Mary sings that God brings the mighty down from their thrones. But in Christ, God himself, the truly mighty one, came down from his throne, not to slay us, but to save us. See, Jesus is the truly humble one, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And therefore, God has highly exalted him and given Jesus the name that's above every name so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow. You see, we are free to humble ourselves before God because God humbled himself for us. The king wore a cross to save us from Satan, sin, death, and the eternal hell of self-rule so that we can humbly rejoice, not because we've done anything to deserve his favor, but because Jesus has done it all. And so my final question is, have you bowed the knee to the humble King Jesus? Have you given up trying to sort of fix up your life, get religious enough that God looks at you and goes, eh, I'll grade on a curve and let you in? And said, no, God is too holy. I am too sinful. I, like Mary, actually need God to be my savior. Have you given your sin to Jesus, received his forgiveness, made him your only hope in life and in death? If you're here this morning, you're saying, no, I never have. Or you're here and you say, you know, maybe I did when I was a little kid, but I haven't walked with him in a long time. Let today be the day that you embrace Jesus as your only hope in life and in death. If you're saying, I'm not really sure how to do that, there's even a, a sample prayer on your Connect card that can help give you language for expressing your desire to embrace Jesus as Lord. Now remember, that prayer doesn't save you, only Jesus saves, but that prayer can help give you language for expressing yourself to him. And if you have embraced Jesus as your humble king, I wanna invite you this morning, anytime during the next three songs, to remember his body and his blood broken and shed for you by partaking in communion. You can come to the communion tables in front or in back, tear off a piece of bread, dip it in the cup, and remember that the king became humble to the point of having his body broken and his blood shed so that you can enjoy his rule forever. So embrace him as Lord and remember him at the tables. And if in any area of your life you're thinking, I'm really struggling to humble myself before God in this area, first of all, welcome to the club. That's all of us. There'll be folks in the back all throughout the rest of the service. They'd love to pray with you about anything going on in your life. And as you are praying and worshiping, I also want to invite you, if you're a follower of Jesus, ask God, is there anything you want to put on my heart to encourage the rest of us here to sort of humble ourselves before God so that we can experience the fullness of joy in him? If God does bring something to mind, please come to the front. We'll weigh what God's put on your heart according to scripture and communicate it only as is appropriate. My friends, the, the wonderful news of Christmas is that Jesus the King has humbled himself on the cross for us so that we can be born again into a universe that's a celebration of him and that is our fullness of joy, amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you. 
that you have shown your love for us in that when we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Thank you for his humility. He went down to lift us up from death and bring us to new life. And so, Father, I pray that um, first and foremost, all of us would embrace Jesus as Lord this morning and experience that newness of life. And we will celebrate now as those whose fullness of joy isn't found in looking at us, but looking to you now in joyful thanksgiving. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.